Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. We're continuing this series on Well With My Soul. I've been amazed how many Bible stories include the presence of a, a, a literal well. And though these wells were tangible and physical, their context was very symbolic and had a much deeper meaning. And perhaps the most well-known of the Bible stories containing a well is the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, and that's where we're going to settle in for the next few weeks. It's a long story, so we're going to take it bit by bit. And our text this morning sets the context and the setting of the story of the woman at the well. Whenever you're reading the Bible and studying the Bible, you need to know the context, not just one scripture, but the scriptures around it. And so we're going to begin reading at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. There are several principles here in these three short verses. And as I go through these five principles, I hope that one of them will jump out at you and really speak to your heart and something you can meditate on throughout the week. I want to preach every Sunday a message that you can live out every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, come back for more on Sunday to get charged up again. And so I hope you'll take these principles, these points that I'm going to share with you, and you will apply them to your lives this week. It will be well with our soul when we, number one, refuse to compare. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John was. You see, the Pharisees, this religious party, they were all about comparing, all about competing, and all about keeping score. First, they had lost some followers to John the Baptist, and then they lost many more people to Jesus. And even John the Baptist, his star began to fade, and he lost followers to Jesus as well. And so the Pharisees tried to stir up trouble. They tried to pit John the Baptist against Jesus. They were taking count of how many disciples were now leaving John the Baptist and going to Jesus, how many people were being baptized. But John refused to play along with the Pharisees. And when he was told that people were leaving his ministry and going over to follow Jesus, John the Baptist said these words in John chapter 3, verse 30 in the New Living Translation. He said, he, speaking of Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. This is to be the focus of our lives as well. Jesus should become greater and greater, and we should become less and less. When we've accepted Christ, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we should become more like Jesus and less like the way we used to be. And so Jesus must increase in our life and we must decrease because we no longer live, Christ lives in us. May people see Jesus in us. The world desperately needs to see genuine Christians, examples of our Lord and Savior. And so John understood that. He understood that he had to decrease and he had to decrease and Jesus must increase and he embraced it wholeheartedly. On the other hand, the Pharisees were consumed with comparing, keeping, 
score and keeping count and competing. We see this in John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, our text in the Message Bible paraphrase. I love how the Message Bible says this. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not John, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. Those of you who have been to church a long time, you may remember back in the day when there used to be these signs on the side of the church that said how, much, how many people came last Sunday, how many people came a year ago, how much, how much came in the offering last Sunday, and what we're home for. Anybody remember those signs at the front of the church? Yeah, I, I had them too. I was raised in a little Southern Baptist church, and I remember those signs. We were keeping score, keeping count, bless God, and, and not that that's a bad thing, but the Pharisees were doing it with wrong motives. They were keeping score between Jesus, John, and themselves. And when we compare, and when we compete, and we try to keep score with other people, it will not go well with our soul. You see, we want it to go well with our soul. We want the peace of God in our hearts and minds. We want to have a life of peace inside, no matter what's going on around us. And that's the whole point of this series that no matter how much difficulty and noise is happening out here in our lives, we can still be well in our soul. We can still have peace of mind. That's what everybody's looking for is peace of mind. But if we live in competition, if we keep comparing ourselves with others, thinking we're better or thinking we're less, it will create discord in our hearts. It will not go well with our soul. So we gotta stop keeping score. This is between us and the Lord. We're not trying to compete with other people. When we compete and compare, we will feel this, this discord and this disharmony in our hearts. And so how do we handle the success of other people? How do we respond to that? Do we get excited for them or do we envy them? You see, it really shows the test of our hearts how we respond when other people prosper, when other people succeed. Because success often arouses criticism and competition. But Jesus didn't care about success as the world defined it. Jesus was never consumed with numbers or statistics. All Jesus cared about was doing one thing. Look with me at John 6, 38. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. What Jesus cared most about was doing the will of his Father. And that's what we should care most about as well. If you want it to be well with your soul, then just do the will of the Father. Not your will, but his will. And it's, it's part of the prayer of Jesus. Lord, we pray, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If you want it to be well in your soul, if you want, it to, if you want that peace of heart and mind, then stop comparing yourselves with other people. Stop competing. If we seek to do his will, it will go well with us. Also, it will be well with our soul when we, number two, don't need recognition. Oh boy, this is tough in the Facebook era, isn't it? 
social media. Oh, the Pharisees would have loved social media. Man, they would have, they would have done great because they did crazy things to get attention. When they gave to a poor person on the street, like a beggar on the street, before they would hand him money, they would have people actually play a trumpet to get everyone's attention, and then they'd give them a buck. You know, they wanted everybody to, to see what they were doing. And when they were fasting, instead of just acting normal, they would act all miserable. They wouldn't wash their face or their hair. You know, their hair would be all over the place and ratty clothes, and they're trying to show how holy they are because they were desperate for recognition from people. They thrived on the praises and accolades of the people. We see this in John 12, verse 42. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Wow. They love the praise of people more than the praise that comes from the Lord. If we have to have the attention and the praises of people for us to feel good about ourselves, then we will never feel good about ourselves. If you need someone's approval to feel good about yourself, then you will always struggle to feel good about yourself. You see, we have to, we have to come to a place where we're not, we're not influenced by other people's opinion of us. Sometimes we, we can only feel good about ourselves when we think everybody else feels good about us. But we've got to come to a place where we don't need the approval of people as long as we have the approval of God. It will not go well with our souls if we crave the affirmation and validation of others. I understand that we all desire affirmation and validation and that is not necessarily a bad thing in itself after all if you've ever read the five love languages one of them is the love language of affirmation and that's my love language that you know affirmation is what speaks love to me Jolene's love language is quality time and when I was first married I was trying to give her all this affirmation and wasn't giving her any quality time. There was one time she was trying to talk to me and I was watching a football game on TV, listening to another one on the radio and reading the sports page. Yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. And men, you know that, that sentence, that question we all hate to hear. Did you hear what I said? Uh, yes. Then what did I say? Stuff. It strikes fear in our hearts. And so if your love language is affirmation, I get it. And everybody needs a certain amount of affirmation, but the danger is when we need it more from people than it comes from God. It's, it's dangerous because what we want may not be what we really need. When we need recognition, affirmation, and validation from others, they will have a hold over us. If you need someone's affirmation, if you need someone's approval, then they have control over how you feel about yourself. And we need to come to a place where we don't have to feel good, that we don't need others to feel good about us for us to feel okay about ourselves. And again, we think we know what we want, but we don't always really know what we want. I have this mole by my right ear. Maybe you've noticed it. It's the size of Mount Fuji. It's just huge mole right by my right ear. I've had it all my life as far as I can remember. Well, 
my oldest grandson, Indiana, is absolutely fascinated by this mole on the side of my face. When he first discovered it, he's, what's that? What's that? Because he always says that about everything. What's that? What's that? So he found this mole on, my, on the side of my face. What's that? What's that? And then he's looking at it, and then he looks at the other side of my face. Like there should be a matching one on the other side. After all, I got two ears, I should have two moles. But he, he loves this mole, and he wants to have a mole just like I do. And so one time he wasn't eating his, his food because he doesn't eat a lot. He eats like a bird. His, his little brother, however, he eats like a horse. The big difference in appetite. And so he wasn't eating his food, and I said, if you eat your food, you might grow a mole. This is mole food. And he started eating his food, man. Right now, he thinks he wants a mole. But when he's 57, he won't think so highly of it. We think we know what we want. We think we know what we need. But I'm here to tell you, only God knows what we really want and what we really need. The validation and affirmation that we genuinely want can only come from God. This is what cripples us. We're so desperate for someone's approval and it controls our life. It controls how we feel about ourselves. And even if we get that approval, it won't satisfy. The only approval and affirmation and validation that satisfies is the ones that come from God. When we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, when you know that God says of you as he said of his son Jesus, this is my son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. When God is pleased with you, it doesn't matter if no one else is pleased with you. And this is, this is what we have to come to realize because it, it creates a disturbance in our soul. Don't, aren't we all affected by other people's opinions? Let's, let's be honest. And yet that will begin to control our life and the quality of our life and the happiness in our life. But if we go to God and we seek his validation, we seek to please the Lord, then you will not be disappointed because God is pleased with you. He loves you as his son and daughter. That praise that comes from God is far more satisfying than what comes from people. The praise of God, the praise from the Lord, the affirmation, is really what our soul longs for. We're trying to fill our soul with the affirmation of people and it'll never fit, it'll never work, it'll never last. But when we desire to fill our soul with the praise and affirmation and affection that comes from God, we will be at peace in our hearts. But if we, we, if we hunger for approval and appreciation more from people than from God, it will not go well with our soul. I'm telling you, if we can just come to this place where all we need is the praise from God, we will be free. We will be liberated from that control of how other people view us and, and how other people feel about us. Another principle in our text is this. It will be well with our soul when we, number three, can walk away. When the Pharisees tried to stir up trouble and competition, Jesus would have none of it. And just as his popularity is soaring, Jesus walks away. Who does that? 
When business was booming, Jesus packed up and left town. Now, Jesus often did this to the great frustration of his disciples. You see, his disciples were more worldly-minded, and they were feeling good, man. There's the crowds that were following them, and then Jesus would end up saying something or doing something that would thin out the herd. Here's all these crowds, and then Jesus would send them walking away because they got offended. And the disciples were like, Man, we had 5,000 people. We just fed them bread and fish. This is a great opportunity. And what does Jesus do? He gets up and leaves. You see, when Jesus was teaching on communion, something interesting happened. Look at John 6, 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. Verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now think about it. You understand communion. You understand that we don't literally eat people's flesh or eat the flesh of our life. We don't literally drink Jesus' blood. In fact, Christians came under persecution during Roman times, and one of the accusations was cannibalism. Of course, they weren't eating flesh and drinking blood. They were eating bread and and drinking the fruit of the vine as a symbol of Jesus' flesh and blood. And so these people hear this and they're like, okay, you want us to be accountable? Okay, this is too hard for us. And verse 66 says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus didn't need the acceptance and the approval of the crowds. He was so committed to doing the will of the Father that he would walk away from all the popularity whenever God said so. I mean, it would seem like the perfect time to continue to build the crowds. And Jesus, when, he, when the Lord said it was time, he walked away. Sometimes we're going to have to walk away from something. There are times in our lives where we may feel, man, things are going good. I'm firing on all cylinders. All the blessings are coming. This is the perfect time. And the Lord God Almighty will nudge your heart. It's time to move. It's time to go. It's, it's time to walk away from this. You see, we, we need to hold things loosely in our hands. I preached a couple weeks ago that every good gift comes from God. How many know as a Christian you surrendered all? That's what you said. That's what you're saying, we surrender all, because we no longer own anything. Even baby dedication, like we saw this morning, these parents, these children are on loan from God. God gave these gifts, but they belong to him. And there there were times as my children were growing up that I had to remind myself, they belong to God, and I have to trust God with them. And so everything we have comes from God. Everything we have belongs to God, and so we hold it loosely because God is in control of our lives. And at the height of your success and popularity, God may call you to walk away from it all. But if you are willing to obey God, no matter what the cost, He will make it go well with your soul. If you have to walk away, it will be well with your soul. In fact, sometimes... We have to walk away for it to be well with our soul. Sometimes we get the success we've wanted 
And, and the stress and the anxiety and the pressure that comes with it pays a, t- pays a great price on our soul. And so sometimes, so that it will be well with your soul, you got to walk away from the stress. you got to walk away from all the things you thought you wanted. I mean, you know, it's, it's more valuable to have peace in your heart than to have the whole world at your hands. Another principle we learn in this text is it is well with our soul when we, number four, trust God's timing. Boy, this is huge. Jesus often withdrew from a situation or from the crowds because his time had not yet come. In fact, it says five times in the book of John alone that Jesus said, my time has not yet come. Jesus was committed to the will of the Father and the timing of the Father. And so, sadly, Jesus' family didn't even believe in him at first. He had brothers and sisters. And it says in one passage, they came to take charge of him because they thought he was crazy. Now, you think about this. Jesus just lived a normal life for 30 years. He didn't do miracles. He just lived a normal life. He was sinless and he was perfect, but he grew up with these brothers and sisters. And you know what that's like. And all of a sudden, your big brother thinks he's the son of God. And you hear he's doing all these miracles, like turning water into wine and healing people. And they're like, really? My brother Jesus, big brother Jesus? And so even his own siblings didn't believe in him at first. They did later. In fact, the book of James was probably one of the half-brothers of Jesus written by. And so we see a situation where they're skeptical. And they show up to Jesus and say, okay, let's see what he's, what he's really got going on here. And so we pick up the story at John 7, verses 3 through 5. Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. This was doubt and disbelief disguised as some business advice. Here his brothers are coming and say, okay. So if you really you know, are who you say you are, then you need to go show yourself to the world. You need to become a public figure. You know, like on Facebook, when you stop just being a friend and you become a public figure. You become an influencer. And so they were telling Jesus, you need to become an influencer. Just think of all the money you could make. Just to think of all the the people you could reach. And so there was some scorn and skepticism in their statement. No one who wants to become a public figure operates in secret. They didn't even get it. Jesus... It wasn't his desire to become a public figure. It was his desire to do the will of God. See, they didn't even get it. They didn't even understand his calling. And it's as if they were saying, if you are the son of God, like you claim, go prove it and show yourselves to the world. And once again, Jesus didn't even take the bait from his own family. Look what he says in John 6, 7, or 7, 6 through 8. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. 
I am not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Wow. Timing is very important to the Lord. And God's timing of things can really test our hearts because God often makes us wait for things. So many times in the Bible it says, wait upon the Lord. And this is really, really challenging for us. The waiting upon God. And we often want to rush things. But there is an appointed time that is according to the will of God. And if we're not careful, we can get ahead of God and we can really mess things up. The timing tests our hearts. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 in the New King James Version. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. It's so amazing, God's timing. The, the coming of Jesus was the perfect time in human history. There were so many factors that created the perfect time from everything from the Roman Empire to a common language of Greek to the Roman roads. I mean, there's, if you ever study that, the timing of the birth of Christ, how perfect it was. Of course it was perfect because God set the time. There is a right time. There is a fullness of time. See, sometimes we're waiting, but things haven't fallen into place yet. And we need to wait on God because there is a fullness of time. God's time is not always our time. God's clock doesn't work like our clock. Now, there are two types of people in the world. They set their clocks to the exact perfect time. And then there are those people who set it five minutes fast or five minutes slow. How many of those set your clock five minutes fast or five minutes slow or something like, yes, you are those people, yes, that I'm talking about. I happen to be married to one of those people as well. Whereas I like time to be exact. I want all my clocks, every clock. I want you to know every clock in my office, and I have a bunch of them, say the exact precise time. I even have an atomic clock. You know what I'm saying? That if it gets off, some signal gets sent from the Rocky Mountains to turn my clock to the right time. I, I got to have the perfect time. Amen. Amen. Yes, there are a few of us like that. And so I get in my wife's car, and I don't know what time it is. Is it five minutes fast? If it's five minutes slow, what am I going to do? <laughs> However, I found it, it works for her, and she's far more on time than I am, so maybe I need to do something about it. God's clock isn't the same as our clock. We think God's late. He's like, no, I've got all the time in the world. <laughs> don't you know the scripture that says a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day? And so when God says, I'll do it tomorrow... Might be a millennium. <laughs> but can we trust that? We, there, is a, there is a real danger for us to get ahead of God, to be too hasty. We, we see it happen throughout the Bible. Saul offered the sacrifice too soon. He wasn't supposed to offer the sacrifice until Samuel got there. And he got nervous because his army was starting to desert him, so he did it himself, which was wrong. He wasn't to do the sacrifice. And just as he's doing the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. And Samuel says, today the kingdom has been torn from you. Because you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait on God's time. Part of obedience is waiting. 
It's doing the right thing at the right time. Because we can do the right thing at the wrong time. And it'll get us in trouble. It won't go well with our soul. If we will just trust God's timing and wait for his perfect will, it will go well with our souls. Finally, my last point. It will go well with our souls when we, number five, accept our role. You see, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John, but in reality, Jesus wasn't baptizing anyone. His disciples were doing the Duncan. Jesus didn't baptize anyone in water. And why is this important? It's important because Jesus and, the John, and John the Baptist had very different roles. You see, John the Baptist was not the Messiah. People asked him, are you the Messiah? And he would, often, he would always say no. Now, he was getting very popular. And so, you know, we might have been saying, if somebody says, are you the Messiah? Well, you may say, Maybe. Maybe so, maybe not, we don't know. No, but John was quick. No, I am not the Messiah, because he knew his role. He was not the Messiah. He was the one to announce the Messiah. He was the forerunner. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. And so John embraced that. He was called to baptize people in water for repentance. That was his calling. He was not the Son of God. He was not the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah prophesied by John. And though the Pharisees and others tried to pit them against each other, Jesus and John refused to play the game. And you know what, folks? we got to stop playing the game. The enemy tries to pit us against one another, tries to bring competition, gets us to compare ourselves with one another. And that's the game of the enemy that we should not play. And each of them had a role, and so do we. They each had a unique calling and a specific purpose, and they accepted that, and so should we. Listen to what John testified about his role, Matthew 3.11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. Wow. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I love it in the King James, baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. That just sounds cooler. (laughs) Jesus didn't come to baptize in water. He came to baptize people in fire and the Holy Spirit. When we accept our role, when we fulfill our calling, when we do the will of God, it'll go well with your soul. But I'm telling you, if you're out of the will of God, If you're not where he's calling you to be, if you're not fulfilling your purpose, if you're not using your gifts for the kingdom, it won't feel right in your soul. It won't be well with your soul. It's well with our soul when we're walking and serving Christ and fulfilling our purpose that he's given us on this earth. That's when it's well with our soul. And so in in summary, I just want you to consider what is God speaking to you today? that you can work on this week? What, what area of your life do you need to change and give over to God? Is it the, the temptation to compare yourself with other people, to keep score, to keep a record? Sometimes we don't keep a record of someone's victories, we keep a record of their failures, so we don't feel like so much of a failure ourselves. 
And so is God challenging you with that today that you gotta, you gotta stop comparing? You gotta stop competing, you gotta stop keeping score. I would encourage you if the Lord has touched your heart on that, would you, would you pray about that this week? Will you bring it before the Lord? Or maybe you struggle with a need for recognition. You're, you're like me, maybe affirmation's your love language, but sometimes we want it too much and from the wrong people. And so maybe you're struggling with a, a need for recognition, but you know it's not, it's not the kind that God has for you. And so would you dwell on that this week? Or maybe you feel like you're, you're in the best place, you're in a great place, but you sense the Spirit of God stirring you that it's time to walk away from that. There may be a toxic, unhealthy, sinful relationship God is saying walk away. Or it may be just the opposite. You may be feeling like you're in the best place you've ever been, but God's saying, you know what? This is, this is not the place or the time. Maybe you're struggling with God's timing. You've prayed, you've believed, you've held on to the promises of God, and nothing's happening. It seems that it may even be too late. And so you're, you're struggling, waiting on the Lord and trusting in Him, and you're tempted to try to do something. Because how many of you know when you, don't feel, when you don't know what to do, you want to do something? The problem is if, if God hasn't told you what to do, just doing something will not help. It, it can make it worse. And maybe you're struggling with your role, where you fit in, your place, your place in the kingdom, your place in life, your place at, at work or, or in school. You're struggling accepting God's call on your life, your purpose. If that's true, I just encourage you, pray about that this week. Bring it to the Lord. Because God wants it to be well with your soul. Do you understand that? Do we understand that? God wants us to have peace. He wants us to have that wellness inside. And sometimes we can't do it on our own. We need help. We need others to walk with us. I'm grateful for ministries we have in this church, men's and women's ministries and, and, and celebrate recovery and other ministries that will help it to become well with our soul. Would you bow your heads with me? The, the most important step before it can be well with our soul is to accept Jesus Christ. If you have never given your life to God, but you're ready to today, or maybe you've known the Lord, but you're, you've walked away. You know you're not where you belong. You've drifted then I would invite you, if, if you want to accept the Lord for the first time, or if you want to come back to the Lord, would you just slip up your hand in this place? Anyone? Amen. Anyone else you want to come to the Lord? If you're watching online, you can slip up your hand as well, because though I can't see it, God can see it. And for those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and others are going to pray with you. You're not alone. And so if you want to accept Jesus, whether you're here in the sanctuary or watching online, I'd invite you just to repeat these words after me. And, and if you're a believer, would you join with them? Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead 
and I believe you're coming again. Dear Jesus, I receive. I receive you into my life. I receive eternal life. And I receive your spirit in me. And I receive wellness in my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would invite you to just fill out this card that's in the seat in front of you. There's a little box that says, I prayed to become a Christian. Or if you've just prayed online, we have a number that'll come up on the screen and you can text that number and let us know. Use the word born again and we'll send you some material so you can start your journey with Jesus. Would you stand with me this time after I bless you? I'm going to dismiss you. You're free to stay and worship and come to the altars or you're free to go and get your picture for Mother's Day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 830 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.